0: Hey, welcome to Alex Listens. I'm Alex. Um, I mean, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you already know that. Um, if you don't, Hey, nice to meet you. Um, this is my podcast. I talk about, uh, I don't, I don't even know really. Like I don't actually, I guess it changes every, every few days, but mainly I talk about, um, philosophy and race and identity oh, and mental bit. health. Okay, um normally I say I talk about nothing but not I wasn't feeling it today. So yeah. Um, so uh if you're enjoying the podcast, uh if you're listening, this this is actually also being recorded as a video on YouTube. Um so you can watch that. Um if you're enjoying it, whatever platform you're listening on, please leave a review or something. Um, and it sucks like it, it's really awful to have to ask you to do that but really i think that's what uh like ev- everyone who makes content um is probably aware that like they have to kind of sell their soul in order to stay afloat um and i guess this is me doing that but at the same time like only leave a review if you want to and you probably don't want to but you should for me um yeah so um yeah also I have a Patreon page if you're enjoying it if you're really enjoying it um you should you should consider supporting it through Patreon because um Patreon is Patreon's great because uh at some point um at some point one ought to feel a need to give back to the people that are creating things and I'm not talking exclusively about me. Obviously there are so many people who make things out there, but it doesn't seem like we have much of a culture of patronage or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, a link will be in the bio for that as well. Um, cool. So today I'm going to talk about, uh, consciousness and, um, yeah, I, I'm distracted by, there's this big window here and (laughs) I've been living in London where there's like no natural light and I'm just so overwhelmed by the volume of light in Melbourne. Even, even though it's really overcast, like I, I still really have to squint to look outside. It hurts my eyes. Um, anyway, uh, today I wanted to provide a kind of introductory framework to, um, to consciousness, uh, and philosophy of mind, because I've had a few episodes where I've spoken about what consciousness is and, uh, how it works. And, um, it, most of the things that I've spoken about have been really technical. Um, like I had an interview, I interviewed this philosopher called LA Paul, who, who is a philosopher of mind and talks a lot about consciousness, but again, it requires to understand that conversation. I think it's, it's not on YouTube, but, um, I mean, I may as well put it on YouTube, but it's on my, on like Apple podcasts or Spotify or whatever. If you search Alex listens, the name of the podcast, it's the second interview I did. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess I realized that I was, I, this thing that interests me a lot, consciousness was lacking a firm foundation on my podcast. So that's what my intention is today, to kind of outline the parameters of consciousness and outline the scope of my, of the way I want to investigate it in the future. Um, Okay. So question one, what is consciousness? Um, And this, like, This isn't even a fair question for me to be trying to answer because it's just so outrageously confusing and complex, but whatever, that's not very helpful. I should actually try and give you uh, a proper answer. Um, so consciousness, well, I guess Descartes, um, a French philosopher from a long time ago, uh, he had this thing called the cogito and the cogito, um, at least I think that's how you pronounce it. Cogito, cogito, cogito. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think therefore I am, that is kind of, uh, one of the, one of the main things, which one of the main ideas, which is kind of, which is still wrapped around consciousness, the way philosophers think about consciousness. So, I guess the first thing we can turn to in order to answer the question of what is consciousness is our actual capacity to think. Um, and whatever that, whatever that feels like, whatever that entails, whatever that, um, whatever that looks like. So for me, at the moment, um, I believe I'm conscious. Uh, and I believe I'm conscious because one, I don't feel like I'm dreaming. Um, the data is too rich. Uh, there's, you know, I can, I can really feel when I touch my arm, I can really feel it and things I have contact lenses in, um, my eyesight's pretty poor, but with contact lenses, I have this like amazing vision and sometimes I just put them on because it's kind of exciting. Cause I get to see things really clearly. Like even my glasses don't do that good a job at correcting my vision. Um, maybe I just need a new script or whatever. Um, but yeah, so like the baseline con- the baseline principle of consciousness or the baseline answer to the question of what is consciousness is consciousness is our personal embodied subjective experience of the world. So, um, in this moment, there is a lot of information that my body is processing There is temperature. uh, There is air on my skin. There is light going into my eyes. There is light going onto my skin. There is my body sitting on this chair. There is this microphone. There is my awareness of space. There is my awareness of time. All of these things. And they are being... Kind of enmeshed and wrapped and boxed into this thing. That is my conscious experience. And amazingly... Uh, I mean, I get pretty, I get overwhelmed by pretty much everything ever always, um, but it's amazing that our brain is able, okay, well, let's, I, I won't, I was going to say, you know, some people doubt whether consciousness actually occurs in the brain, but that that will come later. Um, but it's amazing that our brains are able to harness and process this much information and then produce or allow us to be, just to like, to be, I th- to think, and not to be totally crushed by everything. Um, and, you know, there are some evolutionary arguments as to why we're able to do this. Like, obviously, it's, it looks like it's an... It, it, if we reflect on, like, the kind of characteristics that would be necessary for survival the people who were able to kind of silence the impact that all of the sensory inputs were having on their experience and kind of get on with things and, you know, continue hunting, um, continue seeking shelter, continue rearing children, whatever, those people would have been more likely to survive. And I imagine that they're probably our ancestors, um, the kinds of people that were able to, you know, develop a form of consciousness, but not be totally overwhelmed by it because one thing that seems to be unique to humans and maybe other very sophisticated living things is an awareness of the self. Um, and I think that is also a a fundamental element of consciousness. Um, so when I am conscious, I have an experience of things. That's one element. But another element is that I have this kind of self reflexive awareness of myself engaging with other things, engaging with the world, engaging with other people, engaging with phenomena, having certain drives, liking things, disliking other things um, and then we need to we need to keep going because that's quite exclusive um, how how do i How do I know that if people aren't exactly like me, how do I know that they're actually having an experience of anything? How do I not know that they are just like sophisticated computer programs that are able to respond in a way that is suggestive that there is a conscious mind? But really, I mean, like it's it's. It's not implausible for there to be some kind of program developed where a human skin or something that looked like a human was just pumped with, filled with a whole bunch of different algorithms for responding to different situations. And I mean, how is that actually different from what we are now? I guess maybe you'd add that we have free will. Sam Harris doesn't think that we have free will or in in a very generous sense um sam harris thinks that like uh yeah that like uh, it's been it's been a while i actually have his book down there you can't see it um yeah so i guess sam harris thinks that uh well there's this there's this famous study that there are like there are the researchers and then there are the subjects of the the study And the subjects of the study are supposed to choose between a red button and a blue button. And then, um, you know, they're supposed to think about which one they're going to press. And then as soon as they've decided, they're meant to kind of signal somehow to the researchers that they've made a decision. And the researchers were able to predict with like 70 plus percent accuracy which button people were going to choose before they signaled that they had consciously reached a decision about which one they were going to choose. And I think for Sam Harris, that is kind of his core, at least the videos that I've seen. Yeah, I I don't know. I just, I get, I'm frustrated by his atheism and I'm frustrated by, I'll do it. I'll probably do an episode on Sam Harris. This episode isn't about Sam Harris. It's about consciousness, but we got onto the topic of free will. And recently I've been listening to Sam Harris talk about consciousness. Anyway, so Sam Harris uses that study to say that like our awareness of our free will, our awareness of actually being free is probably some kind of weird deception where our subconsciousness, or something beyond Or something underneath Something which informs our consciousness That has actually That is deciding for us And then it kind of supplants a decision And then we feel like we kind of trace our way To that decision But really the decision has already been made um, So anyway uh, I was talking about The things which The things which inform Which Are uh, constitute consciousness. I said, one thing was, uh, an experience of the world. I said, another thing was a self-awareness. And then I said, another thing was kind of like a freedom to navigate. Um, and I, I, think I, I honestly just, I think I need to keep going because, um, there's a real problem that a lot of people who talk about consciousness have, um, when, when they get to the topic of people who have had some kind of People who have a, uh, some kind of cognitive impairment or people who have had some kind of neurological injury. Um, so if you're in a coma and you know, your heart is beating, uh, there is, um, actually I'm not sure. I imagine that people who are in a coma have like I don't th- yeah they have neural activity so your heart correct me if I'm wrong um as always actually one thing that I wanted to say which I haven't really been saying is that I- and and this goes for all of my podcasts I encourage all of you to contact me um and I encourage all of you to if you disagree with something talk to me about it because I'm not rigid I'm not fixed in my beliefs um I'm very open to, you know, having a discussion about things and and then reconfiguring what I believe based on that. Um and I think that's a very important way to be. And this isn't me patting myself on the back, but I think the people who I admire the most, my friends who whose ways of navigating the world I draw a lot from are the kinds of people who, you know, will have a position but will not be so fixed. Will not adhere so firmly to that position that if provided with a plausible challenge, they won't engage with it. So, yeah. Okay. Um, So I was saying that the problem that... Or a problem that philosophers of mind and people who talk about consciousness have is that... If you define consciousness as a thing which requires an experience of the world, self-awareness, and some kind of free will or whatever... What about people who are, yeah, like, what about someone who's comatose? What about someone who's been, yeah, someone who's been in a bed and hasn't communicated any, hasn't communicated in a way that is normally recognized as interpersonal communication? Um, what does that mean for consciousness? Does that mean that person isn't conscious? Um... Yeah. And so this is, this is a challenge to like rigid people, strictly defining consciousness as something which rec- which requires like, uh, yeah, very specific prerequisites. Um, and so I think that we, but to be honest, like, I don't know, like, I don't really know how to answer that question. I don't know how to think about, because this is where, okay. So now we move now I think in order to discuss that point, we have to move on to, um, a second kind of, so the first question was, what is consciousness? Second question is, um, uh, Hmm. How am I going to frame this? Okay, so I guess there is a problem with subjectivity. Um, and so the first thing that I said when define when answering the question of what is consciousness is that there is some kind of subjective embodied personal experience of the world. That is a, a, an element necessary for us to say that, yes... This thing is conscious, or yes, this person is conscious the 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 second thing that I'd like to talk about is how how are we supposed to know whether something is actually experiencing anything or not? Um, I actually did an entire episode on this um, so I'm just going to. I'm not going to repeat what I've already said. You should go and listen to it. It's called uh, The Problem of Other Minds. Or no, it's called Does Anyone Else Exist? I think it's like, I don't know, the 18th, 17th episode I did or something like that. Um, You should go and listen to that. That's like one hour of me talking about this entire second point. But very briefly, um, I think there, there are these two different ways of thinking about uh, someone else's subjective experience. The first thing is something called the, wow, this is stretching my, actually, it's not really stretching my memory. I feel like my memory is just deteriorating. Um, there's something called the analogical account. Uh, and so I walk up to someone and I say, Hey, like what, what is that, what does that tree look like out there? Oh, what does this plant look like? And they say, Oh, okay. There's like this kind of rosy pink thing here. And then there's, like this kind of green leaf thing. And and yeah, oh, there's an ant and there's a wooden table. Um, and the pot, the pot is sitting on the table. And then I say, okay, cool. Like that's my experience of the plant as well. So it, we're probably having the same experience of this thing. And therefore I should be able to say that I should have some information about what your experience of this plant is because I perceive all of those things as well. Um, yeah, so that's the analogical account. And then, uh, there's another thing, uh, okay, I've forgotten, but, um, yeah, so pretty much. There's, there's a kind of difficult, there's this, a, it's a gray area, the area of subjective experience, because I don't have access. I can like, I just have to rely on your testimony. I just have to rely on what you tell me. If you lie, like if you're a good liar and actually what you see here is blue instead of green, but you tell me you see green, but I know that blue is a different color, um, that's really, like, that's really problematic. Um, but I have to trust that, you know, when I ask people, what's your experience of X? And they tell me what their experience of X is like. I just have to believe that they're not lying. Um, yeah. Okay. So the problem that subjectivity poses for consciousness, just in case, uh, I've lost anyone, the problem is that subjectivity Subjectivity is entirely personal. Um, And my experience of the world might be very, very, very different to yours. But both of us might still successfully engage with the world. Um, And that's really strange. Because presumably there is like a baseline shared conscious experience of things. When two people interact with something in the same way, um, presume hopefully. I mean, <clears throat> hopefully, um, hopefully there is something intrinsic to consciousness that is being that both these people are deriving from the stimulus that they are receiving. Um, when I say stimulus, I mean the kind of information that is coming into their that is being processed by their senses. Okay. Um, okay. So first thing I spoke about was what is consciousness? Second thing was how do we actually think about anyone else's experience? Like, can, yeah, I guess the second point is, can we actually make, can we actually reach any conclusions about consciousness that aren't conclusions about our own personal experience? Um, and I, I'm not sure what the answer is. Uh, if you want, if that's something that interests you, I'm sorry, go and listen to my episode on called, does anyone else exist? Because that will give you a lot of information about this. Okay. The third thing that I'd like to talk about is, um, this, okay. So this is kind of, this is leading the way into where I hope to take my discussion of consciousness in the future. So I'm just going to kind of keep this brief, um, because this was meant to just be an introductory episode. So the third question we need to ask is, um, it's kind of a question of, is any, is anything actually real? Um, and where, where does consciousness occur? So the first thing, is anything actually real? Maybe maybe you want to, like, close the tab now. Maybe you don't want to watch me talk ever again. But, like, just wait. Just wait for a second. Because really, really, so there's this thing in philosophy called inference to the best explanation. And what that means is that if we don't have any so it's kind of a justification for believing in the most successful method for explaining something. So what do I mean by that? So when I say, is anything real? And you say, fuck you, Alex, man. Yes, it's real. Look, there's a plant. You can touch it. It feels like something. Um, it's, prob- it's real. And then I say, okay, but what if, what if like, so when you say I can see the plant, right? What if I say, okay, but the only way you can see something is if photons go into your eye, they're processed by, I don't know, something, your visual cortex or whatever, and And in order for that to happen, the photons need to land on certain cones and rods in the back of your eyeball. And then there needs to be like, like, I don't know, neurons and shit that fire or whatever. And then there's some kind of image created in your head and then it's flipped upside down or whatever. Um, so there's like this kind of complex neural circuitry that I guess we take for granted, but that has to happen in order for us to see anything. Um, So what if, what if I say that like that someone or something has just, something is just triggering or our brain is just triggering those circuits. Um, so what if there's like an unknown hormone in our brain? I obviously, I don't, this is, this isn't like, I don't believe this, but you know, like this, this isn't like, yeah, this is something that philosophers take really seriously like what if we are living in a simulation and what if like our brain or like some kind of supercomputer has planted these sensory experiences in our head and at a particular time like i don't know what the time is now maybe 1 p.m or something 1 p.m 7 minutes 15 seconds 15 milliseconds i don't know Sixteen nanoseconds, like at a specific moment, a a neuron fires and gives me the experience of the plant. What if that's actually what's happening, and it's not? It's not the kind of subjective, embodied experience of a world that is actually there. Um, I yeah, I don't I don't know how to answer that. Apart from like, well, one way is inference to the best explanation. So maybe you could say that's bullshit. Obviously obviously uh like like obviously this plant is here obviously it's not in it's not a projection from my mind um but then we return to like then we return to the weird thing about subjectivity um what like so at various times in my life I've had Um, panic attacks and I've been extremely depressed and I've been really anxious and I've kind of created narratives that weren't true in my head. I've kind of convinced myself that things were a whole lot more serious than they actually were. Now during those experiences, people would tell me, Alex, like, you're not, you're not, I, I don't know. Like, I. Uh, yeah, Alex, everything's okay. This isn't actually how things are. This is just your mental illness. Like, this is just an unfortunate thing that you have and you need to let it go. But it was, it felt real for me. Um. Yeah, it, it's, I'm not, I haven't given you a clear example, but like, I guess in my mind, when I was having a panic attack about, I don't know, like, for a while, I had a phobia of snakes and one time I went hiking and I thought I was bitten by a snake and I actually wasn't. Um, but I really kind of felt the symptoms of being bitten by a snake and they felt as real as this plant for me back then. So yeah, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to illustrate is what we consider to be real isn't as rooted in well, i guess just reality and reality of experience is not as sound and solid and firm and robust as we might think it is because looking looking back i can i i can see that like my experience of that panic attack was it was a result of, you know, uh, a pathology. Something was wrong with me. Um, I still suffer from anxiety and depression, not so much panic attacks anymore, which is really great because they're really awful. Um, but yeah, like that, it felt very real. Um, and this, this is a weird thing for, this does weird things to how we define the external world. Because we can believe certain things to be true for, and those things may only be true for us. So my experience of being bitten by a snake was only true for me because it didn't actually happen in the world. Um, Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, What else? Maybe, maybe I've kind of, okay, the last thing, the last thing that I'll talk about is this really important, uh, kind of structure for thinking about consciousness that was proposed by an Australian, um, philosopher from, he worked at the Australian National University in Canberra. I think now he's at NYU. I'm not sure. Maybe both. His name is David Chalmers. He's pretty funny. He always wears leather. He doesn't look like the kind of person who looks good in leather. Um, Sorry, David, if you're listening, um, he's definitely not listening, but (laughs) yeah, uh, David Chalmers, um, has this kind of binary for thinking about consciousness. Um, he has these two things, the soft problem of consciousness and the hard problem of consciousness. Um, the soft problem of conscious no sorry the e the easy problem, not the soft, the easy problem and the hard problem. The soft problem. That's pretty good. Um so the easy problem is like oh, okay. Um whatever. Um I just thought of something, but the easy problem of consciousness is so let's say I cut my finger and I experience pain. Answering the easy problem is answering the question of what is pain and why does it hurt? Okay, let's just stick with that. What is pain and why does it hurt? So we get a microscope and we look at my finger and we see that there is a laceration and we see that there are certain fibers that have been cut. And we look even closer and we see that certain neurons are firing more than they were before, which are, you know, going all the way down here to the base of my spine, up my spine to my brainstem, whatever, telling my brain that something's wrong. That's the easy problem. It can be solved. Presumably science can already do this kind of stuff. Um, We know how the neural pathway of pain, we know what it looks like and we can map it and we understand it. That's the easy problem, or as I call it, the soft problem. Um, Then we move to the hard problem. And the hard problem is pretty much unanswerable, in my opinion. Um, The hard problem of consciousness is best encapsulated by this question. What is what is it like to feel pain or what is it like to feel anything? Um, and I don't think that you can answer that question without reverting to your own subjective experience of something. And as soon as you do that, I don't have access to it anymore. Um, and, and me not, so yeah, there's just There is a a hiccup, a kind of cognitive hiccup when we move from the easy problem to the hard problem. Um, and, and the, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if that hiccup is something that we can get over. I don't know if we can ever answer the hard problem. Um, so there's this thing called qualia and qualia sounds like a pretty weird word. But pretty much qualia refers to, uh, the, the things like the things about something which yield experience. So at least I I think, I think that's what qualia means. Um, so everything has qualia. Everything has these experience yielding properties, but these experience yielding properties have impact us individually and subjectively. And yeah, that's like, that's not helpful. It's not helpful because we want to, well, it's not helpful for science because science wants to create objective universal narratives to explain how things occur and how things don't. So as I said before, the easy slash soft problem, it can be answered, oh, sorry. Sorry. And can be answered by science, because science can create a map of anatomy and of physiology. And it can explain what receptors are present. I think they're called T-fibers? I'm not sure. Actually, I think they are called T-fibers. They're the things that fire, the neuron, the fibers that fire when they are damaged. And they communicate pain. And, like, if you rewind five minutes, you'll see that at one point... I said that I asked the question of when I was saying how we can think about the hard problem, I said, why do we experience pain at all? And then I kind of paused and I looked out the window as all poor philosophers do. And the reason why I did that was because we don't even really have, I guess we kind of have some answer to that question of why we feel pain. Because I think it's an evolutionary answer. We feel pain because if someone puts their foot in a fire, it's going to impair their engagement with the world. Um, and we don't want people to be putting their feet in fire. And so we need to develop something, a kind of pathway, which prevents us from doing that. So it feels really bad when you put a foot in a a fire. don't try it. Just believe me. It feels really bad. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think, I think I've given you so much information. Uh, Ah, I hope it was helpful. I hope now you have some kind of basic, uh, actually that was pretty sophisticated. I think, um, I hope now you have some kind of, I hope now you understand some of the main questions about consciousness. Um, yeah, so if you enjoy the podcast, let me know, like the video, share it with your friends, whatever. Um, support me on Patreon if you want, you should, uh, leave a review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, whatever. So many instructions. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cool. Um, see you soon. Bye. Bye. All day okay, kinda like I travel in a one way. There's no way to stop feeling okay. It's not great, it's more like I'm great all day. Whether I like it or not, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying that I'm old. Okay, with being broke and telling my folks I got no pay, and it's probably cause I spent it all on mope. Wait, but I didn't, I just told you that I did because I thought that it was hope. Okay. K to lie, like, why should I care if I'm not watching? Like, I'm more reconmortified, yeah. The more I say I'm okay, the more I feel, you feel okay, okay, yeah. You don't understand my vocabs, okay, you know I don't. Don't play with my weight Save my rose for some other day When I don't feel okay I just drink OG so